Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Turn to John chapter 3, if you would. Um, what, I, what I'm going to do is I've been thinking about, you know, what, when, like Julie said, when we were in Cyprus, it just began to come to both of us, I think, more and more about the, um, coming back to really communicating a whole lot more about prayer and intercession. Um, you know, that's what I cut my teeth on when I first got saved. That was my very, very first you know, ministry position in that large church in California where I was hired as an intercessor and all those things that you've heard me share. And then, you know, I was reading a while, just a couple of weeks ago then, David Powell over there, he sends through this uh, email about this whole truth in, in Isaiah 59 that God had been ministering to him. And it just so touched me that, you know, that just again that you can be on the same, you know, the same context, the same wire, the whole thing. But anyhow, so I'm going to start teaching on the intercessory life of Fresh over the next several weeks. But in doing that, I, I want to begin, I want to lay a foundation of Fresh. Uh, much of it should be familiar to you, but I just want to lay a foundation Fresh about the unseen realm. Because again, you will never truly be used as much as God would have you be used in prayer, much less intercession, if you actually don't have a revelation of the unseen realm. I think, uh, sharing, like I said, when I first got baptized into this intercession thing all those years ago, 37 years ago, whenever it was, and I had that responsibility, you know, of, of, of teaching prayer to, I had some 300 people every Monday night from the church that I, my job was to teach prayer. And then in life, you've heard me say all the prayer requests that would come in from this large church, they handed over to me to pray over. And I felt such a strong responsibility, to say the least, to pray over all these prayer Request because people were going through life situations, you know, life-changing problems. And I felt that responsibility to take these things to God. And so I went through all manner of works, if you know what I mean. Like I said, I'd pray over this. I figured I had to give each prayer request five minutes. It was works at the time, but I didn't know that. I was trying to be faithful. So, you know, pray five. When you've got 300 prayer requests, as you've heard me say, and you try to give each one of them five minutes, that takes a long time. And basically, I was getting wore out and just trying, because I was just trying to do it. I didn't understand. I was doing my best, but I simply didn't understand really what it meant to commune with God. But let me bypass a whole lot of that and just say one day as I was praying, God just stopped me in the middle of it. And he said something to me that just, it, it, it changed my life. A very simple thing, it may sound like to you, but again, when God speaks to you, I've said this many times as well. When he speaks something that's truly revelation to you, it may not necessarily be the, carry the same weight as it would to somebody else. But anyhow, he said, stop. And he said, I want you to comprehend something. He said, every, I, I'm, the emphasis was so strong. He said, every single time you open your mouth and pray in the name of Jesus, things in the heavenlies shift Every time you pray, things shift. Every time you pray, things shift. Every time you pray, Rod, things shift. And of course, what he's trying to do is just really get me to exercise real faith in the comprehension that my prayers make a difference. 
because I think all of us can understand what I mean is often we just, we throw prayers like, we hurl them at heaven like darts at a dartboard. And we just throw things back and forth and there's not much heart involved. And of course, we all know the verse that says, it's the effectual heartfelt prayer. It's that which comes from the love, from gut level. It's the heartfelt prayer of a righteous man that avails much. It's not the mind learned, that thing which you can quote, but it's that something that comes from the depths of your belly, from the depths of your gut. That. And so in the midst of that, when he said, I want you to comprehend that every single time you pray, things shift, things change. He then went on to talk to me about it. He said, you have to believe, you have to believe, you have to believe in the, in the unseen realm. You have to comprehend that this is not the real realm. Now, again, I know you guys that have been here for a long time have heard me say this a thousand times. But that's when he took me through that whole thing where he just, as it were, showed me about the angelic realm. And he showed me about the spirit realm. And he, he kept speaking to me. He said, I am a spirit. I am a spirit. He said, I created you. You're a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. But you are a spirit. My I am spirit. Spirit speaks to spirit. Speak to, spirit doesn't speak to head. But he said, you must understand the entire realm of the spirit is the original or is the parent realm. Remember? And again, see, even as I say it now, I know sometimes it'll just bounce off your ears. It won't make that much difference to you because you've heard it often. But what's going to make you effective in whatever you're doing in your life for Christ, you're going to have to comprehend that your physical actions here carry spiritual weight there. And you have to know that everything begins in the spirit that manifests in the flesh. This is why, again, when we talk about spiritual warfare, there's been so much teaching over the last decades, and some of it's been really good, and some of it's been quite crazy, to say the least. But nevertheless, there, it is true that it is a spiritual warfare that we're in. It's not just physical. And you have to be aware of the spiritual aspect of it before you're ever going to really be effective in the physical aspect of it. A lot of people that are effective in the physical aspect of life and ministry to a degree, once they catch a hold of what it means to, for example, bind the God of this world who's blinding the eyes of people in a community, they see whatever they were doing previously multiply sometimes tenfold, a hundredfold because there's something happens when you actually tie into the realm of the spirit. So the illustration God always gave me, I'll just, I'll say it again, is he told me one day, he said, if right now, he said, if the true gift of discerning of spirits, if the true gift of the spirit that's called discerning of spirits went into operation right now, discerning of spirits means to remember, see into the spirit realm. That's what it means. It doesn't mean to be suspicious and discern somebody like you've heard me say. But he said, if you could reach right above your head, I'll never forget it. I, I, I would just will never forget it. Again, he spoke to me in words that I could understand. But he said, if I unzipped the air over your head right now, if I somehow could unzip this air right over your head right now in this building, he said, and you were able to peer into that and actually see into the realm of the spirit, he said, well, first of all, you'd probably faint. But what you would see is multitudes and multitudes and multitudes of spirits just, as it were, moving to and fro all over the place. I mean, the activity 
of the heavenlies is incredibly, incredibly strong and intense, to say the least. But he said, you're going to have to understand that if you're going to be effective in this thing called intercession. You're going to have to be given over to the fact that whether you see something change instantly or not is not the issue. The issue is, will you have the determination, as it says in Isaiah 62, to take hold of the Holy One and give Him no rest until the job is done? In other words, you take a hold of something. God looks for that. That's the difference between prayer and intercession. Prayer, there's many types of prayer. Prayer of petition, you know, prayer of thanksgiving, prayer of sanctification, this, that, and the other. But intercession in, in, in and of itself is a whole different animal. It's something that demands a sacrifice from you. It's something that demands time from you. And it's something, quite frankly, that demands a, a very deep humility. Because intercession is not something about you getting known. You know what I mean? Intercession has nothing to do with you being recognized by anybody. The reason true intercession is so powerful is because it is selfless in nature. There's nothing about that, that benefits you. Remember, the very basic definition of intercession is praying in behalf of another. In other words, nothing about it is for you. That's why, quote, unquote, if you want to get really biblically accurate, you can't intercede for yourself. And that the word intercession means to always pray in behalf of another. Now, don't freak out. Of course, you can pray for yourself. You pray all manner of things. But anyhow, this unseen realm. So I just want to take us through a couple of things in Scripture that are quite familiar and like I said, we've already had some good times this morning in church. I'm afraid to ever say that I'll do my best and not take a long time. Right, Kenny? Hallelujah. Kenny prays for me. It never works. Anyhow. But let's just consider this whole thing about the spirit realm, the invisible warfare that we're involved in. Invisible. Uh, and just look at some of the basic truths. One of the scriptures that spoke to me long when I first started reading was when Jesus was dealing with Nicodemus in John, the third chapter. And I'm just going to read here. And, you know, this is when Jesus said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus was confused. And he said, what do you mean be born again? Can a man enter uh, his mother's womb a second time and be born? I don't understand this. And then Jesus answers in verse 5. This, and again, I read from the Amplified Bible. If I go to Poland, these pastors are going to have to have an Amplified Bible to translate from. Because otherwise, what their Polish Bible says, help them. Help them, Gosha. Do something. Bogdan. Verse 5, Jesus answered, John 3, 5, I assure you, he's speaking to Nicodemus here, I assure you, most solemnly I tell you, unless a man is born of water and even the Spirit, he cannot ever enter the kingdom of God. What is born of and from the flesh is flesh of the physical, is physical. What is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not, do not be surprised or astonished at my telling you, you must be born anew from above. Verse 8, the wind blows and breathes where it wills, and though you hear its sound, yet you neither know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, I, that's a verse that you should take some time to deal with sometimes. When God gives a vision or speaks to you, remember God is a spirit. So he speaks to the spirit of a thing, to the life of a thing. It may not have flesh yet. It's a dream. It's like when I'm sure when, Pastor, when God first spoke to Pastor Merrick and his wife, you know, you have a dream. It's an idea. There's no flesh and bones on it yet because it's spirit. It's still in that place. But you have to receive what the spirit speaks to you before you can ever hope for it to manifest in the flesh. That's so simple, but here. 
So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Verse 9, Nicodemus answered by asking, how can all this be possible? I don't understand all this stuff. And again, because Jesus, well, let me just get to it. Jesus replied, are you the teacher of Israel and yet do not know or understand these things? Are they strange to you? That sounds like he's being a little harsh, but he's trying to pull Nicodemus into an understanding of what he's been looking at maybe all of his life and looking at the scriptures and yet never seen. Anyhow, he said, are these things strange to you? In verse 11, he said, I assure you most solemnly, I tell you, we speak only of what we know. We know absolutely what we're talking about. We have actually seen what we are testifying to. We were eyewitnesses of it. And still you do not receive our testimony. You reject and refuse our evidence, that of myself and of those who, and of all those who are born of the Spirit. Verse 12, this one I wanted to get at. If I have told you of things that happen right here on the earth, and yet none of you believe me, how can you believe or trust me or rely on me if I tell you of heavenly things? Now, just, I read all that to get to that place. Jesus made this statement. He said, if I talk to you about natural things, and you don't understand them, how are you going to understand if I start speaking to you about heavenly things? Now, here's where you have to stop and pause. Jesus speaks from another level of comprehension. Jesus was God in the flesh, right? Jesus came from heaven. I'm going to say it as simple as I can. Jesus ministered from heaven. He didn't minister from the perspective of the earth. He ministered from heaven. His words, as we learned, were spirit. He said, the words that I send you, they're spirit. They're not flesh first, they're spirit. Everything about God is spirit first, flesh follows. And the negative, that's why, again, Dr. Cole used to always say, divorce always begins in a man's heart before it manifests in the flesh. Whatever it is, it begins in the spirit before it manifests in the flesh. But what I'm trying to get at is Jesus wants to talk to us about heavenly things. If our only approach to understanding, listen, if our only approach to understanding something is to come at it from a worldly viewpoint or from a, you know, a a logical perspective, I guarantee you we will miss for decades sometimes the actual impact of the revelation and the message that Jesus Christ is actually trying to bring to us. But here again is why it's such an issue and why it is such a problem. What Julie referred to, you know, the last three Sundays when I taught on the mind and thinking, you, everybody in here, I'll repeat myself, everybody in here right now is the full expression of what they've been trained to be all of their previous life. The way you think the events, the occurrences in your life, the things that you've gone through, your experiences, every single one of them have trained you to think like you think right now. You've been trained that way. Remember in Jewish tradition, I mean, that's, this is why they were put before the Torah. They were put before the Word of God by the age of three. They were constantly being spoken to over, constantly having God's word washed. Remember Jesus said in John 15, Now are you clean through the word which I've spoken? 
God's word cleanses. It does something to your spirit. It cleanses your spirit. This is why, again, it's so important to be in the book every day because when you're out there in the world, you cannot help it. Nobody can help it. You will, you will get soiled by the spirit that's in the world. But he said, you're cleansed, you're cleansed by the word which I've spoken unto you. So young Jewish children, they're spoken over from the day, for actually from day one. They're constantly having the word of God spoken over them, constantly having the word of God spoken over them, constantly having the word spoken over them. So they're trained, their spirit is trained from the beginning to have a perspective that comes from God, not from experience. Can, can you try to hear what I'm trying to get out here? But we have been trained, like I said, through our universities or through our schools or through the school of hard knocks. Every one of our bad decisions, everything, you know, all of that, it, 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 it causes us to, again, have that identity. And, you know, again, repeating myself when we're talking about thoughts, you know, you, what you really believe in your heart is what you become. This is why we have to work overtime to try to get your heart renewed, your heart, you know, this is what God came to do is to put a brand new heart in you, but then you've got to get your mind renewed. I said, you've got to get your mind renewed so that you begin to see yourself in the perspective of heaven. How does heaven see you? That's one of the major questions that has to be answered. You have to begin to see how God sees you. God has never created a failure, ever. God's never ordained that somebody fail just so that it can be an object lesson for somebody else to succeed. Never, never. God's plans are good for all mankind. But we are the result of our past decisions. It's just that simple. Hallelujah. Anyhow, moving on to this. But Jesus said, if I speak to you of natural things you don't understand, how are you going to understand when I speak to you of heavenly things? And I just want you to think on that a little bit. God speaks from another realm. You know, in Hebrews, uh, I'll tell you what, let, let's just, like I said, I'm just going to jump around. Let's turn to Hebrews 1 just for a moment. Hebrews 1, if we could. Hallelujah. We'll be in Hebrews for a bit here. How many of you are still here? Okay, praise God. What do you know? Who knows? They've lasted almost five minutes, Kenny. I'm really blessed. Hallelujah. In chapter 1 of Hebrews in the Amplified Bible, it says, the writer of Hebrews says, in many separate revelations, each of which set forth a portion of the truth and in different ways, God spoke of old to our forefathers in and by the prophets. But, but in the last of these days, he has spoken to us in the person of a son. Now, it says in the King James, he has spoken to us in the person of Jesus. But when you do a word study on it, it says this. It says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us in Jesus. God spoke to the earth in Jesus. Now, a wonderful way to look at that is this. Jesus is the language. When God speaks, the language he speaks is Jesus. In Poland, they speak Polish. Heaven speaks Jesus. Heaven speaks the language called Jesus. I said, heaven speaks the language called Jesus. To rightly divide the word of God then, 
to truly begin to comprehend the depths of the, like it says in Proverbs and Psalms, the, the inner and the deep meanings of this covenant, you're going to have to learn to, you're going to have to learn the language of Jesus. You're going to have to learn the language of heaven. Now, again, God is a spirit. Jesus was a spirit. God, Jesus was indeed God manifest in the flesh. Jesus is the one who said, if you've seen me, you've seen God. So to know and to learn the voice of God, you learn to know the voice of Jesus. You watch and you learn from his character, his attitude, how he approached things, his perspective on things. The basics of forgiveness, for example. Jesus was quick, lightning fast to forgive. You know, the woman caught in the act of adultery. You go and sin, you know, you're forgiven. Be forgiven. Just be forgiven. Go and sin no more. Upset every religious mind in the whole village, to say the least. But he was communicating the heart of heaven. Just, okay, you blew it. You blew it. Don't do it anymore. Bye. <laughs> it's simple. It was as simple as that. You're forgiven. And as we all know, that's one of the, that is possibly, well, that is, I guess, outside of, if we say the person of Jesus being the greatest gift, the greatest gift you ever really fall in love with is the fact when you know that 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 you are actually forgiven. That you are clean before God. I love that old song by Nancy Honeytree a hundred years ago and one of the first Christian artists I ever heard. Nancy Honeytree. She wrote this song called Clean Before My Lord. Clean before my Lord I stand. Not one blemish in me does he see. Hallelujah. But Jesus is the language that God speaks. So again, to, be, to become proficient, if I can use the word in prayer, you need to understand all, some of the basics. And again, in Isaiah, you know, God's word will not return unto him void, right? God's word will not return unto him void, empty, without power, devoid of power. Well, how does God's word return to him? It returns to him through us. We're the ones that the Bible says we're to declare, declare unto me that thou might be justified in your sayings. We're to set ourselves in agreement with Jesus. We're to set ourselves in agreement with the language of heaven. We're to love like he loved, give like he gave, bless like he blessed. We don't curse, we bless. All these things that really define whether or not you're truly a believer, whether or not you're truly a Christian. But you're going to have to develop faith Again, in the unseen realm, you, you have to know that when you flow in obedience to any direction that is truly a God direction, when you flow in that direction, things in the very atmosphere around you begin to shift. Now, I know Lucy, when she sang, did that song, Atmospheres, I know she stole that from my message all those years ago. She doesn't admit it. But it's true about atmospheres every single time, you know, we your praise and your worship and your prayer literally changes atmospheres. It does. But see, you have, to pray. you have to release faith for that. You have to expect that. It's not something you just quote. You have to have a holy confidence about you, not a bravado. I'm not talking about being boastful. But I'm talking about a confidence in the God in whom you serve. You've got to have a confidence. When I walk in the room, God walks in the room. Not because I'm something, but because the one on the inside of me is something. That's why there's so many fear nots in Scripture. Fear not, fear not, fear not all over the book because I am with you. He, he, he wants that just tattooed into the middle of our heart and our spirit. I am with you. 
You don't need to fear any man. I am with you. I will go with you into that interview. I'm with you when I, you go to see that agent. I'm with you when you go to look at a house. I'm with you. You're not alone. But see, it's easy to say, but this is the stuff that we're supposed to meditate on and know and know and know and know and, and know like you know your name. I said, and know like you know your name. Know like you know your name. You've all heard me share when I used to be the principal of the Bible school and it's been about me uh, without telling anybody, intimidating somebody by saying, you know, such and such. I know your name isn't Bobby. Remember that? I've t- I've t- your name is like, for example, all my students here. Look, for example, Bobby. I all, we all know. I know because I've seen her, her application that Bobby's last name isn't really Kamari. It's actually Smith. Bobby Smith. All right? And everybody, and everybody go, huh? And the guy in the Bible school, remember, he would go, no, no, no. He said, my name's, you know, Bob. Bob. I better shift to Bob now. <laughs> My name is Bob Smith. And I said, no, it isn't. Your name isn't Bob Smith. Your, your name is, uh, I mean, your name isn't Bob Kamari. Your name is Bob Smith, you know. And uh, I looked real serious. None of, the, none of the other students knew what I was doing. And he said, well, no, no, my name is Bob Kamari. I said, please, please, we're in the middle of a class. Don't embarrass us. You're embarrassing yourself. I've seen your application. I know. I mean, I've seen your birth certificate. Your name is not Bob Kamari. Your name is Bob Smith. No, it isn't. It's Bob Kamari. I said, no, it isn't. I've seen it. What are you doing this? You're wasting class time. And I just go on and on and keep pressing, pressing, pressing until finally this one guy said, okay, okay. You know, my name is Bob Smith. You know, and, and the object lesson was, I said, that's how hell works. He intimidates and he tries to get, he tries to shift you away from your true identity. He does not want you to know that you know that you know that you know who you are. I am the righteousness of God in Christ is who I am. That's who I really am. I said, that's who I really am. But see, that's who you really are. That's why devils are afraid of those who have revelation of the Spirit. And speaking of that, even like I said, like Paul, if you don't think this is true, remember the whole situation in the book of Acts with Paul when he, you know, the seven sons of Siva, they'd seen Paul casting out devils, remember? And they said, hey, this is a cool idea. Tell you what we're going to do. Let's go down, let's go find some devils and cast them out. That's what they said, right? And, of course, they went and did what? They went found these people that had devils, and they said, we adjure you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out of the man. And devils spoke, didn't they? And what did they say? They said, Paul we know, and Jesus we know, but who are you, Jack? <laughs> you know, we don't know you from zip. And they jumped on the people, ripped all their clothes off, and they ran down the street buck naked. That's what it says. Hallelujah. That's what happened. But the point is, listen to this. They knew Paul's name in the realm of the Spirit. Paul's obedience to Christ had caused him to gain influence in the realm of the Spirit. They knew when Paul spoke, he was speaking of something he knew, not something he was attempting to do. You have to think about that. You see, as you and I are obedient, every single time we're obedient, it releases an anointing. I said every time we're obedient, it releases an anointing. And anointings break yokes. They break bondages. And every time you're obedient, you gain more respect in the realm of the Spirit. 
that realm, like the Bible says, we are, you know, in Hebrews, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. That realm is watching us. They're not detectives looking for us to do wrong. They're cheering us on. You know, there's a great mighty host of angels that are for us that indeed we all know are sent to actually be ministering spirits to those of us who are the heirs of salvation. That's their job. And they know when you mean something. And they're patient with us when your heart is trying to learn. You really want to learn. But this is why we have to deal with this stuff every day, quite frankly, because sadly, if you... You don't know it, but see, just like the words of your mouth, if you're always telling jokes, and Julie gets so weary of my jokes, I understand, you know, I've told you about she's bought me new joke books, and, you know, I used them to start fires during the winter. They were the worst jokes I'd ever seen in my entire life. You're welcome, darling, but I love you. It didn't have anything to do. Thank you, darling. I appreciate it. Could you guys do marriage counseling? <laughs> Hallelujah. But, you know, there are some people who never, I mean, you know, they never want to be authentic. They never want to actually speak truth. But what I'm trying to get at is I've counseled so many people that, you know, of course, their greatest enemy is themselves because they speak so much tripe. I don't know what other word to use. What Julie uses is codswallop. I've been over here 33 years now. I have no idea what codswallop is. I don't know. But all I know is in England, they say, that's a whole bunch of codswallop. I hope that isn't cussing or something. I don't even want to know what that is. Wallop of a cod? What's wallop? I don't want to know. Let's move on quickly. That sounds sound too dangerous for me. I don't know. <laughs> Rubbish, yeah. I don't even know what I'm saying. Hallelujah. But, I mean, people, they just speak. Let me just say they have trained their own spirit not to believe what they say they speak rubbish or they speak silly things so often they they haven't they they don't believe in what they say because they joke so much they kid so much they talk about farcical things so much that they've actually trained themselves in reverse and they don't actually have faith when they open their mouth like when i was truly when i was you know there at Rama back in 1977, 78 under Kenneth Hagin. Um, you know, it was the only year, like I said, we always thought we were blessed. It was the only year that he ever taught every single day. He never did before, never did after that until he died. And, uh, you know, I had the privilege. I don't care what anybody says bad about him. The man was a prophet of God. He was an incredible man of God. But, you know, every single day I'd hear him speak. And then I stayed over during the prayer schools that he just started that year in 1977, 78. And, uh, you know, there's only 25 of us, and they wanted us to be in here to, so they could film this in the very beginning. Anybody that uh, was in one of Kenneth Hagin's prayer class, you knew them by the bruises they had on their arms because Kenneth Hagin was a pincher. And if he liked you, he'd pinch you. And so he'd get done teaching, he'd walk down thinking, how you doing, Rob? And, you know, you go, oh, thank you, Kenneth Hagin. Yeah. You know, you're just blessed to be touched by him. But meanwhile, you walked away with pain and you needed healing. But the thing about Kenneth Hagin is that you, when you found out, this man never spoke unless it was necessary to speak. When he opened his mouth, it was to say something. He had such revelation of the realm of the Spirit. I mean, when we used to work the prayer lines in those days, I think I've shared with you before, you know, I, I was privileged to work the prayer lines a lot of times in those days. And how he, could, how he knew the difference. I mean, like once he had this 
prayer line for people that were deaf. Large, large conference. Well, back then, 7,000, 7,000 was big in those days. 7,000 people, and there was something like 150, 200 people that were deaf that came up in this prayer line. And when you work behind Brother Hagin, he'd pray for one. He would come up to one. He said, in the name of Jesus, be healed, be made whole. In the name of Jesus, be made whole. And then all of a sudden, the next one, he'd go, I rebuke you, you deaf and dumb spirit. I rebuke you, you, you spirit of deafness. And then he'd rebuke another one. And then he'd just pray for uh, What I mean is, you want, I, I remember watching going, how does he know? I mean, two people, he asked for healing. The third and the fifth person, he cast the devil. He cast a de- a, he's dealing with the devil of deafness. And, you know, I, we would sit back and talk about it afterwards sometimes. Just some of us that would work and we go, the guy, you know, honestly, the sensitivity. He, he had a sensitivity to the realm of the spirit that was phenomenal. I mean, phenomenal. And that's something that always stuck with me, the need to really... I don't know how to say, just be, have a revelation of sensitivity to the realm of the spirit. And I don't mean to get wacky, you know, because we've all met people that, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? They get out there in goofball land and stuff like that, you know, like just stuff that, you know, you know, my God, man, they they need deliverance from themselves before they need deliverance for anything else. But there's a sensitivity to the realm of spirit that only comes with exercise. That's why I quote that verse so much from Timothy. Paul in the book of Timothy says, we exercise ourselves towards godliness. There's an exercise of the spirit that takes place. Just the more you work with God, the more you walk with God, the more you pray, the more you listen, the more you tune your ear, incline your ear, the more you incline your ear into my words. Incline, that means to take my old teacher, my first teacher, when he used to take teach that word. He used to yank his ear. He'd go, you need to incline your ear. Incline your ear to the word of God. And he'd pull on his ear so much, so often, so hard, I used to think he was going to pull his whole flipping ear off. Man. But you, we are to incline our ear. It means to give focus, to give attention to this. Don't just skim it. You don't skim the word of holy God. You know, you devour it. And this is why sometimes you meditate. You can take one phrase from one scripture and you're on it for three months because it's speaking so loud to you. And this is what you have to learn to do as you grow in Christ. Don't run away from that phrase if it's still speaking to you. I said don't run away from that phrase, that scripture, if it's still speaking to you. Oh, Dr. Cole used to say this. He said, if it's still producing rhema in you, it'll produce rhema in your hearers. You hear me? If it's producing life in you, it'll produce life in those that you're listening to. And I do think about like Bianca's music, Lucy's music, and what have you like that. You know, this is why, you know, I, I really think so highly of Bianca and, and of Lucy and the other, other artists in here too. Don't misunderstand me. But I'm just saying I know, one thing I know about Lucy and Bianca, because I know them better than I know most of them, seriously, is that they, I, I want to put it this way, I know Lucy's heart is to bless God, sing these songs. Minister these songs, not perform them. You, you know what I mean? Because of the life that that's in the it's in the lyrics that God's given her. Same with B. Same with others. Same with Jennifer. You know. Same with with all of the rest of you guys that are in here that that are so creative. Kenny, you know this song. You know, 
It's the last song that he just stood in the offering. You know, I'll never forget the first Sunday when he played that song about the walls of Jericho coming down. And, you know, with the whole band up here, I'm telling you, it just lifted, it shifted everything. And Leonard Jones was here with us, remember? And Leonard was sitting on to my side, and he said, my God. He said, this is one of the first times I've actually been able to worship in a church, he said, in probably 10, 15 years. He said, you guys actually worship. And he said, that song, man. I said, I know, that's, that's kidding. I said, that's just kidding. He just flopped that out there. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, some of it, it's just when it is, it is. But it's because you're in it. You're not playing with it. God help me. I wish I could find more ways to say this. But Jesus here, let me just hurry up. Oh, God, that's a joke. Hurry up. Rod, hurry. Hallelujah. Anyhow, and Hebrews 11. Turn to Hebrews 11 real quick. Again, I'm just trying to say we've got to have a basis of revelation when it comes to, again, the, the, the realm of the Spirit. So let's look at some, again, real, 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 Familiar verses. Um, well, Hebrews 11.1, 1, Amplified Bible. Now, faith. Faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for, being the proof of things we do not see. Now, just think about that. Our faith is the assurance, the title deed, of the thing, it's the proof of things we don't see. You've got to read that to yourself about a thousand times. Faith is supposed to be the proof. What real faith is, real faith is a proof of what you can't see. Right? Title deed is, all, you know, the basic teachings of faith. Faith is a title deed. If you have the title deed of something, you own it. It's yours. But it says faith is, a, well, let's quote it from the King James. We all know it. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. This is why so much teaching happened about walking in faith. This is why Corinthians still says, I, I was going to get to it in a moment, but we walk by faith and not by sight. You can't follow God and live by your senses. Right? Right? Now, seriously. Right? Well, see, when it comes to an effective prayer life, you can't stay in faith, as it were, in your prayer life, and always be moved by what you're seeing or not seeing with your senses. Faith has to do with the realm of the Spirit all the way. We walk by faith. We don't walk by sight. We don't walk by sight. We don't live by the stuff that we see around us. We live from another parameter. We live from another perspective. We live from what we believe. And that's why he said, just like Paul said it, we say, we too believe and therefore we speak. Hallelujah. Anyhow, so faith is a substance of things hoped for, but it's the evidence of things not seen. And again, that's so basic, but I guess we do need to teach it afresh more and more. The issue is not whether or not you see something happening. I said the issue is not whether or not you see something happening. Real faith continues to speak and to pray and to call those things that be not as though they were, right? Real faith calls those things that be not as though they were. The Amplified Bible, I love it. It says real faith speaks of non-existent things as if they already existed. Now, how many of us are actually doing that in their life? 
Are we speaking of non-existent things that we want to see come to pass in our life? Are we speaking of non-existent things so that they might come into existence? Oh, Charles Capps, when he taught on this all those many years ago, he said this. He said, the Bible says you can have what you say. But he said the problem with the body of Christ is they're saying what they have. Did you hear that? We continually say what we have and don't understand that therefore we have what we say. <laughs> We're called to speak of non-existent things as if they already existed. That's what faith is. But you can't do that without having a revelation that things are shifting in the realm of the Spirit right now. As I speak, not a formula like so many people got caught up in. Remember, we're not to be converted to a formula that's in the Bible. We're to be converted to Christ, right? We're not to be converted to church. We're to be converted to Christ and the way he lives and the way he does things. But that's how he was. Lazarus, come forth. Well, I mean, you know, it sounds pretty crazy when a guy's been dead and stinking for three days. But he spoke from another perspective. He spoke from another level. He didn't speak from the fear of man. He didn't speak from the perspective of man. He spoke from the perspective of heaven. He knew the authority that he carried. And all of this translates into you being effective in your prayer life. Please hear me. I mean, really, I really want you to hear me. It's important. Anyhow, okay. Let me read again. For by Now, faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for, being the proof of things we do not see, and the conviction of the reality. Faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. For by faith, trust, and holy fervor born of faith, the men of old had divine testimony born to them, and they obtained a good report. And look at, look at verse 3. By faith, we understand. I, I used to stop right there. I used to preach. I love to preach this sometimes. The only way you ever, ever you, you cannot understand God if you, can't, if you don't have a revelation of faith. Because it's only by faith that you'll begin to understand the things of God. By faith, we understand that the worlds during the successive ages were framed, fashioned, put in order, and equipped for their intended purpose by the word of God. But listen to this last phrase. So that what we see was not made out of things which are visible. Hallelujah. Right? Somebody say amen. Just make me feel good. Everything you see was made out of something you can't see. <laughs> Everything you can see was made out of something you can't see. That just goes flat over somebody's head. I, I understand that. But this is why, again, it's faith. Faith. You need to believe. Everything you see was made by something you can't see. And yes, it means words a lot, but it means much more than that. It was through Jesus Christ, remember, that all things were made by him, through him. There was nothing made that was made without him. Amen? He was the word made flesh in him. But just catch that one. So that what we see was not made out of things which are visible. Now turn to 2 Corinthians 4 real quick, and I will do my best to finish with this. Everybody say, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God, something... There you go. See, I love honesty. It's all right. It's only, what time is it? It's only 2.30. We're doing good. I'll just do that again in a few minutes to get people to look. Hallelujah. Thank you, Kenny. I like Kenny. B's been sending a lot of prayer requests about him, but I believe the best. 
Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians 4, sorry. Second Corinthians 4, familiar passage again. Let me just start reading verse 13. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 13, Amplified Bible. Paul says, yet we have the same spirit of faith as he had who wrote, I have believed and therefore have I spoken. We too believe and therefore we speak. Being assured that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will raise us up also with Jesus and bring us along with you into his presence. For all these things, and he's talking about all the trials and everything that they're going through, for all these things are taking place for your sake, so that the more grace, divine favor, and spiritual blessing extends to more and more people and multiplies through the many, the more thanksgiving may increase and redound to the glory of God. I love verse 16. Therefore, remember how they always used to say, when you see the word therefore, see what it's there for? Listen to this. We, therefore, we do not become discouraged are utterly spiritless or exhausted and worried out through fear. Again, we need to teach on fear over and over again because that's what destroys your faith. That's is the exact opposite of faith. That's what discourages you. That's the devil's job. He's on his job 24 hours a day to discourage you, to humiliate your thoughts, this, that, and the other. But Paul said, because we engage, in the very first verse of the chapter, he says, therefore, we, since we engage in this ministry of the Spirit, we don't faint. No, it takes too much time. Okay. Therefore, we do not become discouraged, utterly spiritless, exhausted, and worried out through fear. Though our outer man is progressively decaying and wasting away, yet our inner self is being progressively renewed day after day. Hallelujah. Somebody say hallelujah for that. For, and then we all got to love this next verse, for light momentary affliction. Amen. I remember Paul had been stoned, left for dead, shipwrecked, body slammed, everything. Everything you can consider. And yet he has this attitude that's so different from the rest of us. Like I said, oh my God, there's a triathlon. There's a bike race in London. Ain't no way I'm going to church. I'm not condemning anybody else. I'm just saying you guys are all champions because you pressed through the revelation of a, of a bike trial. Hallelujah. You've got great blessing coming to you. Amen. For a light momentary affliction. I mean, you've got to see Paul's heart, man. This dude went through hell and back. And he says, for a light momentary affliction, this slight distress of the passing hour is ever more and more abundantly preparing and producing and achieving for us an everlasting weight of glory beyond all measure, excessively surpassing all comparisons and all calculations of vast and transistent glory and blessedness never to cease. Why? Since we consider and look not to the things that are seen, but you know what? We're looking, we're looking to the things that are unseen. For the things that are visible, the things that are visible are temporal, brief and fleeting, but the things that are invisible are deathless and everlasting. Right? But do you hear him? He said, we do not look at what's seen, but what we do is we look at the unseen. Now see, you say that to the, well, how? Let's say Nicodemus, who was, what do you mean, Jesus? Jesus speaks from another perspective. He said, you've got to understand, you have to learn how to see what you can't see. <laughs> it's called faith. It's called, I trust God. If God said, I do this, that the next action from heaven will be, will be this, I believe it. I said, I'll believe it. 
because God is not a man that he should lie. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not one word of God will ever pass away. You can bank on God's word, but will you be violent enough, aggressive enough to take a hold of it and not let it be ripped out of your mouth? You've got to keep it in your mouth. I said you've got to keep it in your mouth. You're going to die. I'm going to live. You're going to die. I'm going to live. You know, I went through that, what, four years ago. You, you know, you all know about it, to say the least. You were here. You're going to die. I said, I'm going to live. But you're going to die. I said, I'm going to live. And I don't know if you know it or not. I may look like I'm dead, but I'm alive. Hallelujah. <laughs> I am alive. And I plan on being alive for a lot longer because my job, my journey is far from over, man. You know, it's the old joke about retiring. People say, you ever thought about retiring? And my old, I, I go along with the old saints I learned from. They said, no, you, in ministry, you don't retire, you refire. You just get fired back up. You know what I mean? You just keep on trucking. So, you know what I mean? They might build me a better stool to sit on up here until my knee gets better. But hallelujah, I'll still be here. Right, Kenny? Kenny will hold my arm and be a blessing. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Good enough. Paul says... Our, this is a light momentary stress. It's no big deal. And he said the reason these things are no big deal is because we don't look at the things that are seen right now. But tell me, man, when you're going through hell, let's face it, let's be honest. Are you kidding me? You're not tempted to stare at it? Look at what you're going through? I mean, that speaks so loud to you. There's nothing else that speaks louder. I always think back to the classic teaching back in Exodus. You know, Moses... And when all the serpents, because of all of Israel's disobedience, all the stinging and biting serpents are let loose, you know, the curse is in the camp. And, but what was the solution again? Take a serpent, make a serpent of bronze, put it on a pole. Now, this pole was something like 27 feet tall. Put this serpent on a pole and lift it up. And whosoever, I love it, the Amplified, whosoever continues to look with a steady, absorbing gaze shall be healed and made perfect. And I always think about, you know, think about thousands of people being bitten by snakes. And you got this thing, this thing, and you're supposed to be staring at it. And I'm a looking. I'm a looking at it, all right. But all around me, there's this noise. <laughs> people are being bit. They're being snake bit. And you tell me you're not tempted to go. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're tempted to look, my, my God, man. But that's where the old statement comes truth. When you first get saved, they used to say what? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Because remember that brown serpent was a type of Christ who became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. You just have to focus on the good, and, but hell's job is to get you into the negative. We are indeed, I think Kenny spoke or Julie spoke, we are negative by nature. We are negative by nature. Our, the world forces you to the negative. This is why, again, you have to bring that thought into captivity immediately to the mind of Christ. I am not ever going to fail. You know, I, will I ever make mistakes? Will I mess up? Absolutely. But, you, but the thing is with us that are in Christ, we always get back up and we keep going. I love the verse in Proverbs that says, a righteous man falls daily, but he gets right back up. A righteous man falls daily, but he gets up. The issue is where you keep getting up. Amen? Keep getting up. Hallelujah. But anyhow, so... And then he goes on to say in verse 1 of chapter 5, and let me just read this. He says, For we know that if our tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed or dissolved, we have from God a building, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Here indeed in this present abode and body, it's true, we sigh and groan inwardly, 
Because we yearn to be clothed over, we yearn to put on our celestial body like a garment to be fitted out with our heavenly dwelling so that by putting it on, we may not be found naked without a body. For while we are still in this tent, we groan under the burden and then we sigh deeply, weighed down, depressed, oppressed, not that we want to put off the body, the clothing of the spirit, but rather that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal, our dying body, may be swallowed up by life after the resurrection. Now he who has fashioned us, preparing and making us fit for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of the fulfillment of his promise. So then, we are always full, and I know this is true of everybody in this room, so then we are always full of good and hopeful and confident courage because we know something. We know that while we are at home in the body, we're abroad from the home with the Lord that has promised us. Four, verse seven, we walk by faith. We regulate our lives and conduct ourselves by our conviction or our belief respecting man's relationship to God and divine things. We do this with trust and holy fervor. Thus, we walk not by sight or appearance. Hallelujah. The unseen realm. And again, this is how the ministry of Jesus was. Uh, the final, this, I'll just quote it, one of the verses that speaks so strongly to this. Um, Jesus had said, and I know you remember, I think it's the fact that we've got it right here. It's Hebrews 12, just 1, 2, and 3. It says, Jesus, please hear this, and then you guys can, you know, go get your tokes. It's all right. Quit playing with your hair. Good Lord. Julie, please teach Lucy. Just try to do something with her. Horrible. But listen, it's Jesus. Now think about what this man did, what he went through. He lived these 30-some 30, 30 years. He gets baptized in the Holy Ghost, you know, three and a half years of this incredible ministry. If all the works that had been done were put into books, the world, Paul said, I do not suppose would contain the volumes, would be able to contain the volumes there and everything that they witnessed. But it says, Jesus, remember, for the joy that was set before him. Now, you've got to catch what that means. Let me just quote it. Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he, he, uh, he did it so quick, I forgot it. No, Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he despised the cross, he ignored the shame, and he's now sat down at the right hand of God. I'm quoting it from two different versions, I recognize. But the thing is this, for the joy that was set before him, the, the reason he was able to endure the cross, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of God. But you've got to catch this. Jesus understood the realm of the Spirit. For the joy that was set before him, his focus, now hear this, just hear it, simple. His focus was on the end result of what his obedience was going to produce. Do you hear me? His focus was on the end result of what his obedience was going to produce, and that produced joy in him. And that's what gave him the strength, the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's what gave him the strength to endure the cross, a place of suffering, and to despise the shame that was heaped upon him for believing God to go to the length of death on the cross. Everybody, he, he, say, and see, this is what happens to every one of us in the same manner. When you step out to obey God, I guarantee you a place of suffering will come. Something will come to try to defeat you. Hell is real, and Satan does not want you to succeed. So he'll bring something 
He'll bring a cross, a place of death, something that will want to kill your forward motion, destroy your focus, destroy your, your desire to go ahead. I mean, he'll want to destroy it, believe me. And especially because we love so many artists and creatives, uh, you know, my God, I see that in all, all, all of you all the time, you know, great giftings, but everything says no. Everything says no. Everything says no. And so you have no joy whatsoever in your life. You just have this sliver of hope. Now I go from gig to gig to gig trying to live. But Jesus had his focus on the end result. I'm just going to keep at this. This is who I am. I have God with me. God is for me. Therefore, no man can be against me. In the name of Jesus, I'm highly favored. I'm favored. I'm a, I have right standing with God. And you begin to own the identity that God sees in you to the point that it speaks louder to you than the world does. And that's what, again, it gives you the strength to endure the suffering. And it gives you the strength to despise any shame that may come. And then you can have the same end as Christ did. And he found himself sitting at the right hand of glory. Hallelujah. In other words, at rest. And that's how you get to rest. But you have to have your focus on the end result of what your obedience is going to produce. That means having a revelation of the realm of the spirit. Since we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are temporal, they're subject to change. Everything that you can see is subject to change. Everything that you can see is subject to change. That tumor is subject to change. See, those things are subject to change. But truth will never change. Truth is eternal. So we look not at things that are seen, for the things that are seen are temporal, they're subject to change. But the things that are unseen are eternal, they're deathless, and they're everlasting. So it's our choice. What are we going to listen to? What are we going to hold fast to? Amen? All right. Well, that's just a little bit, like I said, kind of an introduction so that we can move towards things about prayer and understand that you have to have this so that you know, when I am praying in the name of Jesus Christ, things shift. But it's not because of me, it's because of that name, because all of authority reside in that name. But you develop faith, your faith will grow more and more, you'll develop muscles in the realm of the spirit as you begin to glean this stuff. Amen? Hallelujah. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 